Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. So good to be in church and so good to be worshipping the Lord. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 14. John chapter 1 and I'm reading from verse 14. It's the Gospel of John. Uh, it's the Apostle John speaking about Jesus. He said, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ our Lord let's pray father we just thank you for this opportunity to gather here in church and for those watching online I just pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would come. We don't need to hear more words. We don't need more information. What we need is a word from you. And we're hungry to hear above all else from you. And this morning as I speak, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would speak to all of us. Let your gifts be in operation. Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of your word. Bind every spirit and fear and intimidation. Let there be freedom. To speak and to receive your word today, Lord God, I thank you for what you're going to do. And I thank you that this word will bring fruit for your glory in the name of Jesus. That we are going to walk out of this place changed and transformed because of the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to begin a new series this morning entitled, uh, This We Believe. New series entitled, This We Believe. Title comes from a song, a hill song uh, released some years ago based on the Apostles' Creed. For those that don't know what the Apostles' Creed actually is, in the early church, uh, as Christianity began to spread through the Roman world, as the leaders began to die, um, there were a lot of people teaching and preaching heresies. And they didn't have the New Testament as we know it today to be able to refer to. And it was really important that people knew what the truth actually was. And so they wrote what's called the Apostles' Creed. It's not that it was written by the apostles, but it was based on what the apostles were teaching in the different towns and in the different uh, synagogues. I, this, is, this is the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born to the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the death and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic there is the word universal. Uh, the Holy Universal Church in a sense. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and, and, uh, and the life everlasting. Everybody said, Amen. It's a powerful creed. 
feel like repeating it four or five times just so we can hear. This is full of depth. It's full of power. Every, every phrase was well thought out before it was inserted into this creed. It's the kind of creed that a lot of traditions actually memorize because I think it's so powerful in terms of understanding what our faith is. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. It defines what we believe as Christians. This is what we believe. Another word for that is often used to describe what we believe is the word doctrine. And the big question is, why is it so important for us to know what we believe and to understand what it is that we actually believe as Christians? Well, one of the reasons why is because the Bible tells us to value sound doctrine. Paul charged Titus, he says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Well, if there's sound doctrine, there must also be false doctrine. And I want you to understand that a doctrine that is 5% off is still a false doctrine. And there is a lot of teaching today and thank God for podcasts and thank God for the incredible amount of teaching that we can have on a Monday and listen to, to, to so many sermons. But we need to be careful. We need to be really clear about what the doctrine of the Word of God is because we can so easily be deceived. We need to make sure that our doctrine, our beliefs about God, about salvation, about heaven and hell are consistent with the truth or we can be deceived. We can be led astray. We can so easily believe a lie. Um, so, so we need to understand what we believe as the, as the church of Jesus Christ. Another reason which I think is, is really important is because what we believe is so important what we believe about life, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God is so important because it affects everything about us. Our beliefs influence how we think. Our beliefs influence how we think, how we feel, how we behave. Our, our, our thoughts, our beliefs are so important. Um, if we believe tomorrow is going to be a terrible day, um, you know, we're just going to approach the whole day with a, with a certain amount of, of, you know, with certain thoughts, which, oh, it's going to be, it's Monday, you know, everybody, you know, it's, it's Friday, thank God it's Friday, but Monday, it's Monday, you know, and, and, and you know, we all, everybody thinks like, oh, it's Monday, tomorrow, go back to where, it's based on a belief, I hate work, it's, work is terrible, work, work, work is boring, work, I hate going to work, it's just, it's the, all these beliefs about work. How about we start to change some of those beliefs? How about we start to change some beliefs? Tomorrow's going to be an amazing day. Can I hear an amen? Man, that was a lot. Amen. Fine, I'll say it because I have to say it, but you don't work where I work. You know, grumble, grumble, grumble. How about we start to change? Hey, maybe tomorrow God could use me. Hey, maybe God could do something amazing in my life and through my life tomorrow. How about we start to change what we believe? Some people believe about themselves, oh, my life is useless and I'm nothing and I'm never going to be anything and you know, I'm a waste of space, I'm a waste. That's what you believe about yourself. And those beliefs, whether conscious or unconscious, influence how you feel, how you think, the decisions that you make. Our beliefs are powerful. And that's why we need to understand what this is. One of the, one of the things, not me, but you know, psychologists generally, what they, what they try to do, one of the main kind of ther therapies out there or one of the kind of things that they do is they try to tease out what our beliefs actually are. And you don't need to be a psychologist to do that. You just need to ask yourself the questions, what am I thinking and what do I really believe about myself? 
Because those beliefs are powerful. Actually, they stole, let's say they stole it from the Bible. You know, the Bible says we demolish strongholds and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. You don't need a psychologist to be able to help you. It does, it is good, it is good. <laughs> it is good, especially if, you know, anyway, the Christian psychologist, it's good. It is good. It is good sometimes to talk because sometimes we buried those beliefs so deeply and someone can actually help us. But we've got a counselor. He is the Holy Spirit. And all we need to do is begin to open our to the Holy Spirit, be honest with ourselves and watch those beliefs start coming to the surface. And the Bible says we need to get a hold of those beliefs and bring them into line with the Word of God. Can I hear an amen? I just saved you guys two or three hundred bucks, all right? By going to the day, I just saved you. Say thank you very much, Pastor Joe, for saving me, you know, a lot of money there. That's why Paul says to Timothy, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life. Watch how you live your life. Watch the decisions that you make. Watch your doctrine closely because if you, if you do that, if you persevere in them, they're going to save you and your hearers. Now, the word save is the word sozo in the Greek, which incorporates not just salvation, Eternal salvation, it incorporates healing, it incorporates deliverance, it incorporates everything about life. If we believe the truth, then it can bring freedom into our lives. Today we're going to look at a really important doctrine. There is one true God. I haven't even started yet. The Bible begins with the words, in the beginning, God. And the question for us is, who is this God? And why is it so important for us to even know who God is? A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How true is that statement? Bill Bright said, everything about our lives, our attitudes, motives, desires, actions, and even our words are influenced by our view of God. What we know and believe about God can change our lives. Knowledge of God will give us strength in difficult times. A knowledge of God gives, gives us confidence to pray, that, that we can pray and believe that something can change in my life. If our belief that God is, God is this little puny little God that isn't very powerful at all, it's going to influence how we pray. But if we believe that God is the Almighty, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, it's going to influence how we pray. An understanding of who God is will give us hope when it feels like there is no hope. It gives us faith to believe for the impossible, that miracles can actually happen. No, I don't know about your God. My God is a miracle-working God. I'm going to believe that this situation is going to change by the grace of God and for the glory of God. What we believe about God has the power to, gives us the power to face giants bigger than us, wisdom to make the right decisions. I believe that one of the greatest things that we can do in life, and I believe the primary purpose of every believer is to know God, not just know about Him. One of the reasons why I want to speak about this today, this message has been brewing for a couple of weeks in, in, inside of me, is because I'm concerned. I have a concern as a pastor. I want to talk to the church family today. La familia. I want to talk to you today. Because I'm concerned. Because our perspective of God, our understanding of God in the modern, modern church is changing. There's a shift that is happening in our perception, our understanding of who God really is. And I believe we need to just kind of bring it right back to the Word of God. 
According to sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Denton, the new religion, especially among those who are younger, is something dubbed moralistic therapeutic deism. Within this MTD religion, God is a cosmic therapist and, and divine butler ready to help out when needed. He exists but really isn't a part of our lives. We're supposed to be good people, but each person must find what's right for him or her. Good people will go to heaven and we shouldn't be stifled by organized religion where somebody tells us what we should do or what we should believe. MTD isn't a religion like Islam or Buddhism, but rather a melting pot of beliefs. Its preacher is entitlement and its sermon is a me-centered message about a distant therapeutic God who wants us to be good and happy. That's the modern day version or beliefs about God. We're living in an age where we've created our own version of God with our own beliefs about Him, with no connection to the Word of God. We've kind of created this God that kind of, let me tell you, it's a reflection ultimately of self, of who we are. Paul said to the Galatians, I'm astonished. I can't believe it, is what he was saying, that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. How many people know there is more than one gospel that's being circulated out there? The Bible only speaks about one gospel and we need to get back and understand what that actually is. In light of that, I believe it's really important that we go back to some basic beliefs about God. And today I want to look at two qualities of God. God is full of grace and God is full of truth. And I want to keep this really simple and I pray that God will speak to us through his word. There are two qualities today that make for good parenting. I'm going to do a bit of parenting teaching today. It's been affirmed by secular researchers and is consistent with scripture. Good parenting is both loving and firm. It includes an equal uh, balance of both love and truth. When, when, when we parent with the extremes, we can actually get into all kinds of trouble. When we, when, we, when we go to parent with one of these two extremes, we get into all kinds of trouble. Josh McDowell said, you've heard me say this before, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. In other words, if a parent majors on discipline, rules, running the home like a sergeant, attention, uh, no affection, no love, no relationship. There's always an atmosphere of tension and fear. If, if, if someone grows up with that, at some point, those children will say, I've had enough of this, I'm out of here. Some of you grew up in an environment like that and you know exactly what I'm saying and you know that this is true. Everything inside of you was saying, you know, one day I'm going to get out of here. I can't right now, but I'm not going to live in this kind of environment. I'm out of here. The Bible actually says, parents, don't exasperate your children. There is a place for discipline, but, but, but don't overdo it because otherwise you cause all kinds of damage in, 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 in your children. Instead, teach them and train them in the ways of the Lord. I like that. If we're forever disciplining wrong behavior, we're not doing anything. We're, just, we're, 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 we're not actually helping our children. What we need to do is teach them the principles of the word of God so that then when they face a situation, they can decide for themselves what is right and wrong. The converse is also true. Relationship without rules also leads to rebellion. If a parent always says yes to their children, yes, you can have that. Yes, you can go there. Yes, you can do that. If a child is used to getting everything that they want and there are no boundaries, the moment you say no, guess what's going to happen? 
It's rebellion. But how dare you say the whole world is going to fall apart? Great parenting is both loving and firm. Come on, can I hear it? Parents and, you know, everyone. Great, great parenting is both loving and firm. Now, I know that sounds really easy on paper, but when it comes to reality, how many, many parents know you need the grace of God to decide, well, when, am I, when do I be firm and when do I be gracious? It's not always easy to know. And, and, and sometimes you think, well, sh- shall I say yes or shall, I don't know. And, it, and what we need above all else is the grace of God. What we need above all else is a closet somewhere where we're praying, hearing the voice of the, Lord, what do I do here? And listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Here's the interesting thing. These two qualities are used throughout the New Testament to describe God. As we read it, read in our text, the word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Listen to how John describes God. He says he's full of grace and full of truth. How does God deal with you and me? Well, I'll tell you how he deals with you and me. He deals with us with grace and with truth. It's not just truth and it's not just grace. It's grace and truth. Now, here's the danger. If we get the balance wrong... It will lead to a wrong perception of God. If we think that God is this cosmic teddy bear, we'll be shocked when God at some times says no, when God at some times disciplines us. When, when we prayed for A and B actually happens, we're going to get really angry and, 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 and get angry at God. And if we think that God is, is, is this army general, then we're going to avoid God at all costs. Why should I serve a God? If I go to God, he's just going to get angry with me. He's just, some people have this perception that God is in heaven with a baseball bat, just ready to, ready to beat us up, you know, because of something we've done wrong. And if that's our perception of God, well, we're not going to go anywhere near him. So important that we get a revelation of who God really is. So let's look at these two truths a little more deeply. First truth is that God is a loving God. Let's put our seatbelts on. It's going to get interesting. Uh, all throughout Scripture, we see the reality of this powerful truth. Um, God is a loving God. Can you see it on the screen? Well, I open, you know, you just got to believe. It's, it's on there. It's coming up there. Uh, <laughs> if you were here last Sunday, you will have heard the message on endless pursuit and Uh, You know, that God is the God of grace, that God is the God of mercy. And I don't want to repeat what I said last week, but, you know, I encourage you, if you weren't here, jump online, grab the podcast, listen to the the YouTube message. Um, I never want to belittle or minimize this quality of God. He is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. Can I hear an amen? He's the God that forgives. He's the God that loves. He's the God that cares. He's the God of the prodigal in the name of Jesus. And even when we wander off, even when we rebel against God, the moment we turn back to God, He's ready to receive us with open arms. It's the God that we serve. I never want us to doubt the love that God has for you and me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, there's the word belief again, shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you're here today and you think that God could never love you, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. Psalm 103, I love this psalm, says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
How do you describe God? What, what does God actually look like? I tell you what he looks like. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. Never forget that. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Can I hear an amen in the congregation somewhere? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I'm not sure if you've ever got a tape measure and measured how high the heavens are down from the earth. It's not a, you need a long tape measure. Uh, but it's pretty high. That's how, that's how much he loves us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Here it is, he is bringing it. Back to the message, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. In the Bible, there are many stories that describe the love and the grace of God. One of the great stories, and I could have picked, you know, an easy one of 10 stories that I just love throughout the Bible. But, but one, of, one, of, one of the stories, one of the great stories is the woman caught in adultery. We know the story. A woman's caught in adultery. The Pharisees bring the woman to Jesus. They throw her in front of the feet of Jesus, which is really interesting and speaks about the culture. Where was the guy? Oh, don't worry about the guy. It's the woman we need to deal with. They say, Moses' law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you think, Jesus? I just love this. It's, they, they, they don't care about the woman at all. They couldn't care less about her. This is about trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus bends down and he starts drawing in the sand. <laughs> we don't know exactly what he was drawing or what he was writing. But he then gets up and says, well, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. How intelligent was Jesus? How wise was Jesus? And one by one, they, they begin to leave. The older ones first. I love it. They go on, get out, let's get out of here before this gets worse. Let's get out of here. The younger ones, oh, no, we've got to stay. And then he's thinking, oh, I don't like what he's writing in the sand. Let's get out of here. Until Jesus is left with the woman. And he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice the balance in this text between love and truth. Notice the balance here. The woman was clearly caught in sin. There's no doubt about the sin that had transpired. She deserved death according to the law of Moses. But Jesus extends grace and love to her. Neither do I condemn you. But then he speaks truth and says, go now and leave your life of sin. So this brings us to understand the second quality of God. God is a God of truth and justice. That God is also a God of truth and justice. Now, many of us grew up on a diet of God is angry, God is righteous, God doesn't smile, He doesn't tell jokes. God will punish sin one day, and He's really looking forward to it. It wasn't that we had, it wasn't that we had the fear of God. We were outright scared of God and what He might do to us. They used to say things like this. What if you go to the movie theater and Jesus was to return? Do you think you would go to heaven? So we'd go and watch movies. But when we're watching that movies, we've got both eyes open because we're wondering what's going to happen here. I mean, you know, <laughs> thinking Jesus could come back while I'm here and I'm going to be left behind because I came to watch this movie. You know, it was funny. It was funny. But here's the interesting thing. The pendulum has swung so far the other way. 
we now go to the movies with no fear at all and watch movies that are filled with immorality to the max. We watch horror movies that glorify demons. We watch all kinds of filth, all kinds of garbage, and our consciousness doesn't even bother us one little bit. Timothy says, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, it's become so tough, we no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want us to be reminded today that God is not only a God of grace and mercy, He is also of God of justice and truth. To help us understand this, I want to take you through some scriptures in the book of Jeremiah. And I'm reading through this at the moment. I'm doing my devotions through the book of Jeremiah and it is speaking so loud to me. I mean, every chapter that I read, it just, it's just full of just, uh, just incredible revelations about who God is. It's the balance of the message of grace. It's the balance of the message of love. It's the balance of, the, uh, of, of what love is. It's the other side of love. See, so many of us, when we think about love, what we think about the, the mushy side, the nice side, the hug me side, but there is another side of love. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. How many people know sometimes the most loving thing that we can do with our children is say no and discipline them in some way because it's for their good. Now, we love talking about the other side of love. I love talking about that side too. But there is another side of love that we also need to talk about in the church of Jesus Christ because that's who God is. And to help us understand this, I want us to look at the people of Israel. God had chosen the people of Israel you know, he, 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 as his very own. God blessed them. He led them out of Egypt into the promised land. He led them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and yo-yo biscuits, God loved them, protected them against enemies that were greater than them. God warned them. He said, listen, be very careful because when you get there, you're going to forget the Lord your God. And I can imagine they're hearing God say this. Then they're going, ah, oh, don't you worry about that. It'll never happen to us. We will never drift away because we're going to be strong to you. You've been so good to us. We'll serve you all the days of our life. By the time we get to Jeremiah, the people had drifted so far away from God, they were worshipping idols. They were sacrificing their own children to them. They had abandoned God. So God raises Jeremiah, not only Jeremiah, but also other prophets to begin to speak to them, to speak truth to them. But they would not listen. Let me give you some of these scriptures. Let's do a little tour of the book of Jeremiah and kind of give you a feel for these scriptures. I encourage you, get your own Bible, a New Living Translation Bible. Just read through the book of Jeremiah. It's powerful. I'm getting to the second half. It's a pretty good half. So it's the pendulum is swinging. But let me give you some of these scriptures just to get, give you a bit of feel about how God was feeling about the people of Israel. This is, this is chapter 14. He says, so this is what the Lord says to his people. You love to wander far away from me and do not restrain yourselves. Therefore, I will no longer accept you as my people. Now I will remember all your wickedness and will punish you for your sins. Jeremiah 15, then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for these people, I wouldn't help them, away with them, get them out of my sight. Is that in the Bible? I mean, think about how, how, how angry and upset God was. He gets to the point where he says, even if Moses and Samuel were here and they were pleading for you, I'm not even going to listen to them. So far had they drifted away from God. 
chapter 16. When you tell the people all these things about what God was going to do, they're going to ask, well, why has the Lord decreed such terrible things against us? What have we done to deserve such treatment? What is our, what, what is our sin against the Lord our God? And then you will tell the Lord, this is the Lord's reply. It is because your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worshipped other gods and served them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. And you are even worse than your ancestors. You stubbornly follow your own evil desires and refuse to listen to me. So I will throw you out of this land and send you into a foreign land where you and your ancestors have never been. There you can worship idols day and night and I will grant you no favours. Everybody say, wow. That's chapter 16. I could go into chapter 17. Let me show you chapter 18. Therefore, Jeremiah... Go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. This, this, is, the, this is when Jeremiah went into the, into the potter's house. You know the story where, you know, the potter's making a pot and, 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 and it crumbles and he starts all over again. And, and God is saying, wouldn't Israel allow me to do this with them? And, and, then, and then Jeremiah speaks, warn them and tell them, this is what the Lord says. I'm planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. But the people replied, don't waste your breath, Jeremiah. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. In other words, say whatever you want, Jeremiah. We're not interested. We're going to keep on our ways. Chapter 21, I myself will fight against you. This is God speaking. With a strong hand and a powerful arm, for I am very angry, you have made me furious. I will send a terrible plague upon this city, and both people and animals will die. Hmm. Selah. Pause. Chapter 25. Again and again, the Lord has sent you, his servants, the prophets, but you have not listened or even paid attention. Notice that again and again, God sent the the prophets. God, again and again, the Lord has sent you this servant. Again and again. What does again and again mean? Again and again and again and again. It's not like God says, okay, you've drifted away. I'm going to warn you once. You say, no, that's it. God, you're out. No, it's again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But you would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshipping idols, made, your, made with your own hands, bringing on yourselves all the disasters you now suffer. And in case you think this is just a message of the Old Testament, Pastor Joe, that's the Old Testament. You know, you're just preaching Old Testament. You know, we're New Testament and New Testament is grace. Well, let's look at what Jesus has to say. Not everyone who says to me, and this is just one scripture, you can get a whole ton of these just out of the Gospels. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? The three marks of a thriving, thriving ministry today, prophecy, uh, um, uh, casting out of demons and miracles, the three, the three marks of a thriving ministry. And Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And then in Hebrews... Chapter 10, it says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left for us. If we deliberately keep on sinning. Some people say, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe, Pastor Joe. <laughs> no one's perfect. I mean, come on, who's perfect? You know, no one is. I mean, seriously, everyone's going to sin in some way. Everybody's got a little issue here or there. <laughs> 
Everyone's allowed at least one problem, you know. <laughs> Listen, God is not so much interested in our behavior, but he's interested in our hearts. He is interested in our behavior, but he's interested in our heart's attitude towards the behavior. Two people can be struggling with an addiction or sin in some way. One says, oh, we're all human. God understands. Or another one is, hmm. Another one is praying and fasting. And seeing a counselor, they're, they're in an accountability relationship. They loathe the sin. They loathe it. And they hate what it's doing to their lives. And they're praying for grace from God to help them get through that so that they could be like Jesus. If we deliberately keep on sinning, that's an attitude of the heart that says, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to keep on doing it. I really don't care what God says. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That, that's in the Bible, it's still in the Bible. Just, just want to make sure everyone knows the latest version of the Bible, it's still in there. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That's heavy. How many people say that's heavy? How many people know that's truth? Can I hear a little amen? That amen was not strong at all, man. We need to be careful that we don't get to a point where we no longer know who God is where we think we can bring God down to our level, where we think we can do whatever we want, live however we want, pick and choose what bits of the Bible we obey. And as long as we're in church on Sunday, we should be okay, mate. We should be okay. God understands. God is a God of mercy and grace. God is a God of mercy and grace. It's quiet here this morning. God is a God of mercy and grace and love. Never, ever forget that. But make no mistake, God is also a God of justice and truth. Don't ever forget that either. So what is it that we need to know about the justice of God? Where to from here? Well, the first thing that we need to understand is, is that God's heart for us is always love. I want to re-emphasize that. I want to re-emphasize. I want to go back there. Because I don't want anyone to misunderstand the spirit of the message that I'm speaking about today. I trust. Please hear the balance of next week, last week's message. Hear the balance, but I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying here today. I can tell you that no parent loves to punish their children. And that's the same with God. His preferred way of dealing with you and me is grace and mercy and love. I love the way God spoke to David after he had sinned. It's just beautiful. God said to him, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had not been too little, I would have given you even more. If this had not been enough, I, God's, God's saying to David, David, I gave you all of this. And if that wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in my eyes. Why, why did you despise the word of the Lord? Why did you look at this word, the Bible, and say, you know what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me, 
the sin was not against Bathsheba and Uriah. First and foremost, the sin was against God. Joseph said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? And took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be her own. Please remember that every time we sin, the first and foremost sin is against God. And ultimately, God's heart for you and me is love and grace and blessing. He's saying, I want to bless you. Second thing we need to understand is that God is patient with us. He doesn't just discipline when we turn away. He comes after us again and again. He chases us. He, 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 he comes after like the, leaves the 99, goes in chasing of the one. He sends warnings and warnings and warnings. Jeremiah said again and again, the Lord has sent you his servants, the prophets, but you've not listened or even paid attention. God warns us and warns us. He will send a prophet, a friend, a significant person in your life. How, how does the Lord, how, how does God, if we start drifting away, how does, how does the Lord speak to us or get us through that? I tell you, there's three ways. The first way is the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important for us to cultivate a relationship with God because, because as we begin to drift away, we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Something feels yucky inside of our hearts. If we spent time with God as we drift away, and we all drift away just for the record. We all drift away. The heart is evil above all else. Who can, who can understand the human heart? We all tend to drift away. But as we begin to drift away, the voice of the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us. It's the easiest way to just come back in. If we just hear the voice and obey. But some of us going, oh, I don't think that was the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think it was the pizza the night before. And so we continue on that direction. If we continue in that direction, number two, God will send someone. God will send a significant person in our lives to warn us. If we can't hear the voice of the Spirit, God will send us the voice of the prophet. The prophet might look like your mum. It might look like your dad. It might look like a friend. It might look like a leader. But that person will come and say to us, what are you doing? And we've got a choice to do. Either we listen to the prophet or we blow them away. And we say, you know what? Mind your own business. Who, who are you to speak into my life? And we continue on that road. And then if we decide to continue on that road again, there's only one third way that we can be rescued. And that is by experiencing the consequences of sin. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's, 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 the, it's the prodigal son. The example of number two is Nathan knocking on David's door. And, 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 and Nathan says, David, what are you doing? Let me tell you a little story. Sheep and two sheep, five sheep and one sheep and so on. And, and, and David says, I'm the man. I'm that man. That doesn't work. Then we will experience the consequences of our sin. Father says to his son, no, don't go. Don't go. Stay home. Stay home. Stay home. No, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And so he experiences the consequences of our sin. Can I tell you, the worst way for us to come to our senses is option three. And there he is in the pig pen, eating, wishing he could eat the food of the pigs. He's at the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. And it's there that he comes to his senses. And he has a choice to make. Do I go back to my father or do I go even worse in what I'm doing? And it's there that he decides, I'm going I'm to return back to the Father and come back to him. Sometimes we will return to the Father. Sometimes we can come to our senses and go in the opposite direction. Someone like Judas came to his senses, but instead of coming back to Jesus, 
he decided to go in the opposite direction. God will warn us again and again and again. He will do whatever it takes to keep us from experiencing the judgment of God. But if we ignore that, the third thing we need to understand is that God will not contend forever. God will punish sin. Bible says in the days of Noah, so he caused Noah to build an ark. For 120 years, he warned the people destruction was coming. Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. Repent for the end is coming. The end is coming. No one listened. And on the day of the flood, people were eating and drinking. And then the door closed. And the end came. Make no mistake, there is a day coming when the door will close. And God will, it's not punish sin, but he will give us the consequences of our sin. He will give us what we want. (laughs) And if I don't want to be anywhere near God, that's what he says, okay, spend eternity away from me. Today, says Hebrews, if you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts. How should we then respond to the truth and justice of God? Jeremiah says, this is Jeremiah, same Jeremiah we've been listening to. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. We need to examine our lives, what lifestyle are we living that is not consistent with Scripture. We need to pray, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious. See if there's an offensive way in the me and lead me in the way everlasting. Acts 3.19, Peter's preaching. He says, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Jeremiah, um, just read this morning in the text, this is like, they sinned. God said, that's it, you're gone. They went into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And then the Lord speaks to them. But this is what it says. But now the Lord says, do not weep any longer, for I will reward you. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. I have heard Israel saying, you disciplined me severely. But listen listen, listen to the heart of Israel, because they were never the same again as a nation. I have heard Israel saying, you disciplined me severely, but I deserved it. I was like a calf that needed to be trained for the yoke and plow. Turn me again to you and restore me for you alone are the Lord my God. I turned away from God, but then I was sorry. I kicked myself for my stupidity. I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child? Asked the Lord. I had to punish him, but I still love him. I long for him and surely we'll have mercy on him. And it goes on and gone. That's the heart of God. It's the heart of God for you and me. Bible says this, just as people are destined to die once and then to face judgment. This is Hebrews chapter 9. That's the justice of God. But God is not just the God of justice. He's also the God of grace and mercy. Please understand verse 28 that says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Let's all stand together. I pray you've understood the spirit of the word today. I pray you've understood the spirit of the word. I pray, I pray, I pray. What do you do with a sermon like this? You need to stop and reflect. We all need to stop and reflect. 
Moralistic therapeutic deity is the new religion. We need to be careful that we don't shift in our understanding of who God is and what he wants to do in our hearts and lives. So just every eye closed, every head bowed. I just want you to just, really, this is, uh, this is not about, you know, put your hand up, do this, do that, do the other thing. It's really about all of us examining our own lives. And the greatest thing I think we can pray is, Holy Spirit, will you, will you speak to me? Will you speak to me? Search me, oh God. (laughs) Examine me, oh God. I just want to serve your purposes. Some people think, oh, you know, God doesn't want me to do this because he doesn't want me to have a good time. That's, that's, that's That's the lie. That's the lie. There's the belief. It's a lie. No, God, God, God is saying, don't do this because he wants you to have a great time because he wants you to have a great life because he knows that that behavior is going to destroy you. The greatest thing that we can do is come back to Jesus. The greatest thing that we can do is confess our sins to the Lord. You know, one of the things that I do, you know, uh, sometimes I see attitudes creep inside of my heart. Sometimes it's unforgiveness. Sometimes it's this or that or the other thing. I see, I see these, these little foxes that come back in. And, and, you know, the greatest thing that we can do when we notice that happening is just come back into the presence of God and say, Lord, would you forgive me? I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Help me to be like Jesus. And if there are certain struggles that you're having with certain issues that are very clearly not inconsistent with Scripture, you may need to see someone. Do something about it. Don't, don't just be trapped. Don't be trapped. You're not, that, that, don't be a slave to sin, says the Apostle Paul. You don't have to be. It's what the church is all about. We're here to help one another. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, one beggar leading another beggar to food. We've got some food somewhere. I know where it is. Go, let's go. It's, it's, it's uh, helping one another. It's what the church is all about to be everything that Jesus has called us to be. So Father, I just pray. That this, we're not just going to walk away from this message and, and just put it on the shelf. That this word is going to ring true in our hearts and lives. And you would speak to us because we want to be everything that you've called us to be. Bless us as your church. Use us for your glory, we pray. We bind every attack of the enemy, every temptation of the enemy. We come against it in Jesus' name. Be exalted and lifted high, I pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, God bless you. You have an awesome week in Jesus' name.